Thank you, and once again, good day to students and teachers of the Word of God. Our lesson this week is on one of the great doctrines of salvation, which we refer to as soteriology. And this particular doctrine we're studying today is the doctrine of justification. Now, there are many subjects that can be covered in the study of uh, soteriology, salvation. Among these, which we'll study later, are the subject of repentance, of faith, the subject of adoption, the subject of redemption, sanctification, justification. And these great Bible words are words that come from the Bible itself and deal with the great doctrines of salvation. There's a, an absence of these uh, terms in modern radio preaching and modern TV announcing because uh, many preachers as a whole have ceased to deal with the Bible terms that deal with salvation. You'll hear a great deal of talk about faith, repentance, belief, and baptism by people who know, know nothing about the doctrines of salvation at all. For the doctrines of salvation are found in the book of Romans. Now, most of these words end in I-O-N or T-I-O-N. And the reason why you hear all this talk these days about baptism of the Holy Spirit and faith and belief and repentance, all this and that, is because the preachers have ceased to teach the doctrines of salvation. The modern preaching is non-doctrinal because uh, doctrine becomes controversial and upsets some people, and doctrinal truths have to do with the absolute authority of the Bible. So where a Christian has abandoned the Bible as an absolute authority, he gets very nervous when you begin to talk about doctrinal matters. These words that deal with Bible doctrine on salvation are as follows. Salvation, justification, redemption, propitiation, imputation, sanctification, adoption. Now, you see how those words end in T-I-O-N? Those are peculiarly biblical words in a biblical setting that deal with the biblical doctrines of biblical salvation. And that's why you hear so little said about them. The last time you heard a sermon on justification, some of you folks, was more than five years ago. Do you know why? Because the man who is counting on his goodness or his experience or his feelings or his works to save him knows nothing about justification. And that's what we're going to talk about today. One of the modern errors of the day is to identify justification with pardon. But justification is far more than pardon. To justify means to declare righteous. God's problem in redeeming man was to justify the sinner without condoning sin or justifying his sin. God being who he is, and of course you covered this thoroughly in our first six lessons in theology, could never compromise in judgment and treat sin lightly. God is holy. The law and justice demand the death penalty for every sin. As Ezekiel said, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. The mercy of God yearned to rescue the offender in the interest of love. In a human court, the judge is supposed to justify the righteous and condemn the wicked, Deuteronomy 25.1. Now, if the Lord condemned the wicked, we'd all go to hell as sure as we're sitting here. In Exodus 23, verse 7, God said, I will not justify the wicked. God pronounced judgment on human judges that pervert this kind of judgment and said, Woe to them which justify the wicked for reward. Jesus himself condemned the Pharisees for justifying themselves before God. Now, the question that faced the Trinity was, what man could keep the law perfectly for all of sin and come short of the glory of God? God's solution was to send to this earth a perfect man who lived a perfect life and died a perfect death, gained the righteousness, and then that righteousness offered as a gift to a believing sinner. Justification is being accounted righteous before God. The sinner 
puts on the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and God sees him perfect in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Henceforth, God sees the sinner justified in the Savior, hidden in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Justification, therefore, is the judicial act of God, whereby those who put faith in Christ are declared righteous in his eyes and free from guilt and punishment. Now, if you want to find this doctrine stated exactly in the New Testament, read very carefully Romans 4, 3 to 5, which you haven't heard preached on a half a dozen broadcasts in 25 years. Romans 4, verse 3 to 5. I'll give you time to look it up. Romans 4, 3 to 5. This is the Bible doctrine of imputation, justification by a judicial declaration. And this is the doctrine that no person dare teaches who is counting on water baptism or charismatic experience to save them. You'll never hear the matter brought up. And here it is, Romans 4, 3 to 5. Abraham believed God, and it, his belief, was counted unto him for righteousness, to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. That is, if you're working to get to heaven, your faith is unrighteousness. To him that worketh not, his faith is counted for righteousness. Now, the unsaved uh, professing Christian who is trying to get to heaven by being a good little boy or girl will always go to the epistle written to the twelve tribes of Israel, James, to prove that a man is justified by works. Uh, the habitual practice of the apostate in going to James has been so habitual that finally they have printed a Bible in the market that says that James was not written to the twelve tribes. The new Bibles have gone so far to say that James was written to save Hebrews or save Jews or spiritual Jews. And this was done to cover up the gross and glaring fact and horrible fact that James was written to the twelve tribes and the people trying to go to hell by good works are quoting James to justify their own self-righteousness. The fact of the matter is, in the great book on the doctrinal uh, status of the Christian, you are told to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. The righteousness that God justified the sinner with and counts of the sinner is God's own righteousness himself, which he worked for. And he earned as a man, living a perfect life and dying a perfect death. Or as the writer of Hebrews says, though he were a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And the people who try to justify themselves by James too are ignorant of God's righteousness and go about to establish their own righteousness. And as uh, James says, they've not submitted themselves in the rights of God, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Now, the forgiveness of sin, the removal of guilt and punishment, is found in this matter of justification. For a holy, perfect God to overlook sin or forgive it is not a small matter. The truth is that God actually delights in forgiving and cleansing iniquity, but he has to have a basis on which to do it. In the Old Testament, the basis was the shed blood of bulls and goats. For without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. And although God could forgive and remit sins in the Old Testament, which, of course, he certainly could, Exodus chapter 34, Hebrews chapter 9, he couldn't clear the guilty sinner until Christ came and died on Calvary's cross. In Micah 7, verse 18, we read, Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever, because he delighteth in mercy." 
in justification all of the believer's sins are forgiven and the guilt and punishment is removed. You may have to pay the rest of your life in the flesh for what you sowed, but eternal punishment is out of the question. The slate is wiped clean, and you are declared to have the righteousness of Jesus Christ. This is why the uh, feeling experimental working people who exalt their experience above the Word of God are always trying to perfect themselves and be like Christ in the hope that some way this will help save them. If you were like Christ, you'd go to hell anyway. He was sinless and you're not. He was a member of the Godhead and you're not. The most Christ-like character in history is Satan, the Antichrist. Jesus Christ is called a lion. That's what the devil's called. Jesus Christ was like a serpent on a pole, John 3. That's a reference to Satan, Revelation 12. Jesus Christ is the angel of the Lord, Galatians chapter 4, Acts 27. The devil is the angel of light, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Christ's likeness will get you nowhere. What you have to do is receive God's righteousness, and God's righteousness is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Now, here we find the vast difference between the, the modern feeling experimental spiritual Christian who is always messing around talking about letting Christ come into his life to share his life with somebody else and the blood-bought justified child of God in whom the Lord Jesus Christ lives. There's a difference. One man has let Christ in his life to fix up his life so he can be a good little boy and work his way to heaven. The other man is a man in whom Jesus Christ lives and is crucified with Christ, and he lives. Nevertheless, he doesn't live, but Christ lives in him. In Acts 13, 38 and 39, Paul said, Be it known to you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins, and by him all that believe, no baptism, all that believe, no mention about confession or repentance, and by him all that believe are justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Now, this seems like heresy to the self-righteous do-gooder who is working his way to hell, talking about letting Christ come into his life. And the reason is very simple. The term justification is never found anywhere in the Bible in connection with baptism and never in connection with letting Christ come into your life. The term justification is the legal act by whereby God declares the sinner to be righteous on the basis of that sinner trusting the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. And that's why it is never connected with water baptism in either testament. You can find the word born again connected with water, but never with water baptism. You can find the term saved connected with uh, uh, water baptism, but never in the sense of absolute salvation to eternal life, but in the sense of a figure of the man's salvation, 1 Peter 3.21. But the Lord never makes the mistake of putting the term justification and justify anywhere within 20 verses of any kind of baptism in any direction. And this is why unsaved people get all messed up in the book of Acts. Every time, for every time you've heard Acts 13, 38, and 39 mentioned, you've heard Acts chapter 2 preached 500 times. Do you know Why? because the term justification doesn't occur anywhere in Acts 1, 2, 3, and 4. What is justification? It's the imputation of Christ's righteousness. 
To impute is to count down or charge somebody with something or charge something to their account. In imputation, the sinner is charged with Christ's righteousness, and Jesus Christ is charged with your sins. Now, if you ever get a hold of that, you'll never doubt your salvation. If you ever get a hold of that, you know the difference between a charismatic experience or feeling and Bible regeneration. If you ever get a hold of that, you'll know when a man is lying to you when he quotes Scripture. And you'll know when a man is trying to deceive you by quoting Scripture, if you ever get a hold of that one solid New Testament biblical truth. But the believing sinner who trusts Jesus Christ is given God's righteousness, and his record is swapped with Jesus Christ. Christ becomes his sin-bearer, his sin-substitute, bearing his sin, but just bearing the sins of the unjust, and your record of guilt and shame and punishment in hell is attributed to God's Son and put on his record. That's imputation. That means he became sin for us, that who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. If you ever get that, you'll never doubt your salvation. And if you ever get that, you'll know when some rascal is quoting Acts, Hebrews, and Matthew to try to talk you out of your salvation. Further, Jesus Christ's spotless, perfect, holy, sinless life is attributed to you, and you are given credit for his life, whereas you did not live it. Now, that's what is involved in the two greatest doctrinal statements of New Testament salvation that are found nowhere in the book of Acts. Justification, found in Acts 13.38, and imputation, found in the book of Romans. And that's why every unsaved preacher in America spends his time in the book of Acts instead of Romans. Romans deals with absolute, completed redemption, where the sinner is justified and given Christ's righteousness. The forgiven sinner is not like a discharged prisoner who has served his term and is discharged from further punishment. In Christ Jesus, the sinner is forgiven, released, and given the full rights of citizenship, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all that believe, that is, the perfect, holy righteousness of the sinless Savior is imputed to the sinner. Have you got that? Did you get that? That is New Testament theological Bible doctrine. And of that doctrine, the Bible says, In the last days, the apostate Christians will not endure sound doctrine. 2 Timothy chapter 4. And they will not stand to be told what I just told you, which is New Testament biblical doctrine on salvation. And I did not take it from a progressive book where the doctrines are changing and being revealed as they are in the early part of the book of Acts. I gave that to you from the completed statements of the New Testament saved Christian, whom the Gentile Christians were told to follow, the apostle to the Gentiles, the apostle Paul, who replaced Simon Peter before Acts chapter 12. You don't like to be talked to in that tone of voice, do you? You know why you don't? Because you've already decided in the grounds and the framework of your own self-righteousness that you're going to have something to do with earning your salvation. And you've got Scripture to back you up, don't you? Of course you do. That book wasn't just written to save people. It was written for people to break their neck on. 
And that book said, Those that are unlearned and unstable rest the Scriptures to their own destruction. And the Bible said they stumbled at the Word because they were appointed thereto. Now, are you saved? Never mind about Christ coming to your life. He's in the devil's life. As a matter of fact, he controls it. The devil has to operate by his permissive power. I'm going to know about Christ coming into your life. He's in the life of every demon in the face of the earth. If Christ didn't give life to the demons, they couldn't live. So I'm not talking about this modern psychological, pathological thing where you let Christ come into your life. Let me ask you this. Has God declared you righteous on the ground, the finished work of his Son? Let's don't talk about the new birth right away. That's God's work, giving you the new birth. Let's talk about your work. Have you received the one who can give you the new birth? When you received him, did you trust his finished work to save you, or are you still messing around with yours? When you received him, did you trust his shed blood to give you God's righteousness, or did you run to James chapter 2 and Hebrews chapter 6 and try to prove how smart you are? Let's cut it right down fine, Christian. If you're saved, you're justified, and if you're not justified, you're not saved. The sinner calls out, how can I receive the gift of righteousness? The answer is, by believing. Paul said in Galatians 2.16, Knowing a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Romans 3.26, To declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and justifier of him which believeth in Jesus, not the one who gets baptized with anything. Romans 4, 5, But to him that worketh not, but to him that believeth. The best of men need to be saved by faith in Jesus Christ. Wicked sinners can also be justified in the same way. The justification is done by God. He is the author of justification. Justification is the judicial act performed by God the Father Almighty by grace. Or as Paul says in Romans 3, 24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Notice how justification, sanctification, adoption, redemption, salvation, regeneration, point out the great New Testament doctrines of salvation that are not discussed in the book of the Acts, which is an historical book. Titus 3, 7 says, Being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Romans 5, 9 says, Much more than being justified by His blood, we should be saved from wrath through Him. Christ was delivered for our offenses, raised for our justification, so justification is never connected with water baptism in either testament anywhere. It is a, a unique New Testament doctrine that deals with New Testament salvation and is never found within ten verses of water baptism in either testament. Justification is the act whereby God declares the bleeding sinner to be righteous and attributes the sinner's sins to his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what are the results of justification? Well, first of all, peace. Romans 5, 1, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. We have peace of conscience through the mercy of God. We have peace of heart through the love of God. We have peace of mind through the truth of God. We have peace of soul through the presence of God. We have a peace the world can't take, the peace of which Jesus Christ said, My peace I give, not as the world giveth I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled. We have access into the presence of God for worship, praise, and petition. Romans 5, 2 says, By whom also we have access by faith into this grace. Notice how many times, Romans 5, 1, Romans 8, 33, 
These great doctrines of New Testament salvation that tell you the truth about your salvation are found in the book of Romans. And that's why water baptism is mentioned nowhere in the book of Romans. There's the Holy Spirit putting the believer into Christ and putting the believer into Christ's death in Romans 6. But water baptism is never connected with the great New Testament theological doctrines that explain the operations of redemption, regeneration, sanctification, imputation, and justification. These great theological doctrines that deal with soteriology, the study of salvation, are found always written with no connection at all to water baptism of any kind, and in Romans 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, no connection even with spirit baptism. They are connected with the sinner coming to Christ and putting his faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, the completed blood atonement of Christ on the cross, taking the sinner's place, which doctrine is called substitution, T-I-O-N, substitution, propitiation, sanctification, redemption, regeneration, adoption, justification. Those are the great New Testament biblical words that describe salvation, T-I-O-N. And that is why you can't find those things preached or taught on 90% of the TV and radio stations today because they tell the truth of what actually happened when the sinner got saved. And what Satan wants the sinner to do after he gets saved is to rely on his feeling or his experience and then get rid of the Word of God by picking up 30 translations and trying to make them line up with his experience. Satan is not through with the sinner when he gets saved. His next trick is to mislead him and misguide him so he doesn't understand what happened to him when he got saved. And what happened to him is described in the book of Romans. We are justified judicially by God, Romans 8.33. We are justified mediatively by faith, Romans 5.1. We are justified by the merits of Christ, Isaiah 53.11. And the believing sinner has God's righteousness. God's righteousness is Jesus Christ. He that hath the Son hath everlasting life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have been written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know you have eternal life. Hallelujah, brother. There's something to shout about. And that has nothing to do with feeling. That's a scientific fact. That truth is as fixed and established as the rock of ages. That has nothing to do with anything I felt or thought or said or did. That's the glorious and blessed fact but when I get home to glory, I will find my sins and my meanness and my wickednesses have been attributed to my Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's made full payment, and his glorious holy righteousness has been imputed to me and charged to me. Therefore, beloved, now we're the sons of God, at but not if we shall be, but we know when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For God has predestinated us to be conformed to the image of his Son. On our next week's broadcast, we'll talk about the great doctrine of soteriology known as regeneration. Until then, may the Lord bless you and good day.